This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. Well, I am so very excited about this episode because here we are at the start of the summer season, and lots of us are thinking about what we might like to read in the coming weeks as we travel, or maybe as we just lay around and enjoy the lazy summer months ahead, I got to sit down and talk with young adult literature author Aisha Saeed about books and reading and what it's like to be a novelist writing with kids underfoot. I'm so excited to share our conversation with all of you in just a bit. But first, I've got my dear friend and co-host Rebecca Hoffer of SimplyRebecca.com here with me. And we're going to start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. Rebecca, what do you have for us this week? Megan, Awesomes. My Awesome of the Week this time is my latest binge on Netflix. And you know how I love a good binge. You do (laughs) love a good TV watching binge for sure. (laughs) Well, last month, Netflix added Party of Five to their lineup. And I'm loving it. Megan, did you watch Party of Five back in the day? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm so embarrassed to say I've never seen a single episode of Party of Five, not back in the day or not on the Netflix release. (laughs) Okay, well, join me, Megan. You need to watch with me because I didn't watch it either. Okay. So this is kind of brand new to me. Now, I was aware of the show. So the show was originally it was on Fox. It came out in 1994. So I think Mm -hmm. I was just a tad on the young side for it. I think Mm, that's maybe why I never really got into it. Also, you know, I don't know how things worked in your house, but in 1994, like we had like one TV in our living room. And, you know, I guess it just wasn't what my family was into watching at the time. So I missed out. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. So here's the general storyline for those who maybe are not familiar. It is based off of a family of five children whose parents were tragically killed in a car accident by a drunk driver. So I'm only into, I'm at the very end of season one. At the start of the show, the very first start of season one, the parents had died six months ago. And that's when it's picking up. You have Charlie, who is 23 years old. He's the oldest kid in the family, and he's played by Matthew Fox. Then you have Bailey, played by Scott Wolf, who is a junior in high school. Julia, played by Nev Campbell, who is a sophomore in high school. Claudia, played by Lacey Chabert, who is 11 years old. And then there is baby Owen, who is only 18 months old. Wow. Okay. They're all trying to still live together and stay together. Their social worker hasn't put them into foster care because Charlie is actually old enough 
as an adult at 23 to, you know, provide guidance for them as a family. And it's all about how they are navigating these new roles and who's in charge of what. And Charlie, he's only 23. He didn't ask for any of this. And he's not typically the responsible one. And then they have little Owen. And it's really interesting. I think that watching it as an adult, I'm seeing things probably a lot different than what I would have watching it back in 1994. Sure. Yes. There was a scene where Owen took his first steps and I just lost it and was just crying and just thinking his mom and dad are not here to see this. Oh, it was really heartbreaking. And then you see like Julia trying to navigate boys and she's clearly looking for attention and affection and like somebody to just love on her in general. And you just think, oh, there's so much grief going on here under the surface. When is this going to like erupt? <laughs> but definitely like a grown up, like mom's perspective on the show. For exactly. Sure. But I have to say, it's also a lot of fun because in 1994, I was 12 years old. So I am looking at Claudia just a year younger and it's like going back in time to mm. those early 90s and just the things that are just so different times before computers and smartphones and all of that you know they're leaving handwritten notes for each other on the kitchen counter somebody was waiting outside of a movie theater for a super long time because somebody didn't show up and they didn't know where they were i mean when's the last time somebody didn't show up and you're like oh i wonder where they are no you know, know. because they <laughs> called you or they sent you a text message right Absolutely. Yes. Even just calling a number that's shared by multiple people. I mean, we don't do that anymore. I call my best girlfriend and her husband doesn't answer the phone. I don't need to say, "Uh, hello, is Susie there? No. And when (laughs) Megan, when is the last time that you said, oh, I'm sorry, Kyle's not available right now. Can I take a message? Right. Exactly. We haven't even had a landline at all in years. So, yeah, it's such a blast from the past to get those little windows into the world that was obviously so normal for us. Exactly. So I'm just loving Party of Five on Netflix just for a whole slew of reasons. I just really am getting into it. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I know lots of people know and love and remember Matthew Fox as Charlie on Party of Five. I have a special affection for him, not from Party of Five, but because he played my beloved Dr. Jack Shepard on Lost. Of course. It is so much fun to see these actors and actresses like back in the day. Oh, I'm loving it. It's a lot of fun. I love it. Okay. Well, my awesome of the week, Rebecca, actually has a very strong connection to both you and me. And this is the first time I think I've ever really spotlighted a person for awesome of the week, but this person has been very awesome for me lately. So I want to talk about our mutual friend, Stacy Karen. Stacy is a blogger from A Delightful Home, and she is at Stacy Karen on Instagram. And she does incredible work with helping people learn how to do like DIY home, like beauty treatments, herbal remedies, all kinds of natural living and natural family tips and tricks. And so Stacy and I go way, way, way back in our blogging days to 2011 when she and another mutual friend of ours, Andrea, we started a little weekly blogging roundup called Your Green Resource. And so every week we would host this on our blogs and people would share their green ideas from the week. 
on blogs. Do you remember blogging roundups? <laughs> I do. I still have some of those in my archives. <laughs> yes. Well, in fact, later we brought Rebecca on and she joined us in hosting that every week on our blogs. And so, Rebecca, that was one of the very fun things that we did together back in our blogging days, back when we were both super into all of the, you know, green, healthy living stuff on our blogs. So this is a little bit of sort of awesome backstory for people who are listening today. So Stacy has blogged at A Delightful Home for years, but I mean, really lately, she is just knocking it out of the park, especially like on Instagram. She will post full recipes for things like sugar scrub bars, like little bars of sugar scrub. She will post the whole recipe, how to do it in her Instagram posts. She's really doing awesome stuff on Instagram stories. She is. She just really uh, is. Right? I feel like not everybody has really gotten into the Instagram stories part yet. I love it. I was skeptical at first, I have to say. I think some people do it really well. Some people, well, okay, they're doing okay. But Stacey Karen is doing fantastic on stories. She'll show you how to put together, like, for example, recently she did a headache tamer with essential oils, and she showed how you can put together a rollerball of essential oils that are specifically going to target headache and tension, pain that you might be having. And she'll do that whole thing in her Instagram story. So just, I don't know, it's just been inspiring me in so many ways with all of these DIY home remedies and beauty products. In fact, I have to tell you, also on her blog, adelightfulhome.com, she has a ton of recipes and resources. She recently talked about how to make a magnesium lotion, which is so good because a lot of us have magnesium deficiencies. Magnesium really absorbs well through your skin. And so she kind of walks you through the steps of how to make an actual magnesium lotion to boost the magnesium levels in your system. So she's just a phenomenal resource. And you can tell she has put tons of time into taking courses, getting all kinds of training in how all of this stuff works together so that you know that she's providing like really safe information for you as you're making these remedies or treatments. So what I did this week is I actually went ahead and bought her latest ebook release. It's called the Body Scrub Bible. <laughs> I have to tell you, Rebecca, it's truly like Bible length. It's a huge ebook. Oh my word. <laughs> it is like an encyclopedia of all of her knowledge about creating sugar scrubs and salt scrubs. She has fruit-based scrubs in there, whipped scrubs, all kinds of fancy stuff, all made with natural ingredients. So it's kind of the time of year when we're sort of shedding our winter coats and we want to freshen up our skin a little bit. So she's got like over 50 recipes in there that she herself has tested and perfected. Then she has recipes for like making a body butter and lip scrub. She tells you how you can not only make these for your own use, but she has a whole section on how to package them for gifts, which I think they make a fantastic gift just for all kinds of stuff, teacher gifts, little stocking stuffers at Christmas. So I bought that because I know that in the summer weeks ahead, I've got a lot of time on my hands with my girls who are very into doing DIY projects at home. Oh, so a great idea. Yeah, I think this is going to be perfect timing for us. My oldest daughter especially loves to do homemade beauty treatments of all kinds. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this with all of these different scrubs this summer. So anyway, again, her name's Stacy Karen. It's Stacy Karen on Instagram and her blog is a delightful home if you want to check her out. Yeah, what Stacy is doing is really just phenomenal. But 
it's amazing because she is such a down-to-earth, gentle spirit in herself. And I yes. am personally so proud of her because I think she's stepping outside of her comfort zone a little bit. You know, I think we all can be like, mm, I don't know if I want to put my face on video. I don't know if I'm really into this. And she's just like plowing through and just doing it. And I watch the things that she does. And as a fellow online entrepreneur, I am so inspired and dare I say a little bit jealous. Like, Stacy, <laughs> how are you pulling all this together? Also, a little fun fact about Stacy is that she is originally from Australia. So as you That's listen right. to her, you might catch a little bit of an accent slipping through from time to time. She really is just somebody that you can feel good supporting. She's just yeah. such a kind spirit. I just love her. So true. That's such a great point. And I meant to mention that she is originally from Australia. I love when you get that little bit of accent from her. So, so fun. Well. I'm so excited to talk about books and reading, though, before we get to my conversation with Aisha Saeed in just a few minutes, I wanted to tell you a little bit about BarkBox. BarkBox is partnering with us to bring you this episode, and it is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys chosen around a monthly surprise theme for the dog in your life. The way BarkBox works is so simple. You just go, when you sign up, you just choose your dog's size. You choose a plan. They do one, six, or 12-month plans. You can cancel it at any time. And they also offer free shipping on all of their deliveries. And so you sign up. You get a BarkBox. It's shipped on the 15th of each month. It's so fun. I really love that BarkBox picks all natural treats and really fun, innovative toys for a dog's unique needs. So they take into account the size of the dog, if they have allergies, if they're a heavy chewer or not. They take all of that into account when they're putting together your dog's BarkBox. All of their edible treats are made in the USA or Canada. And in fact, the team at BarkBox tests out their treats with their own dogs just to make sure that your dog is going to love what is in each delivery. So some of the themes that they do are things like Country Fair, BarkBall, Brooklyn Hipster. They have all kinds of fun treat ideas that they put together, toys and food for the dogs in your life. And also, if your dog gets the bark box and it doesn't like something in the box, they will send you a replacement for free because they are all about doggy happiness. <laughs> so we don't have <laughs> we don't have a dog in my family yet, but my sister Emily has a sweet little doggy named Paisley who's been part of our family's life for years and I'm so excited to share bark box with Paisley. It is a great gift for the dog in your life or you can send it as a monthly surprise for a loved one's dog as well. So BarkBox wants you to experience the awesome of this delivery. So for a free extra premium toy added to your BarkBox every month, visit BarkBox.com awesome. And when you subscribe for a six or 12 month plan, select yes, please. When asked if you have a playful pup. So again, go to BarkBox.com awesome. Select yes, please. When asked if you have a playful pup and here's to happy doggies in all of our lives. Details for all of this goodness from BarkBox are in today's show notes. Well, here we are, Memorial Day weekend. Lots of us are thinking about what we're going to do, where we're going to travel, and what we're going to read in the months ahead. I am so excited, you guys, that I got to sit down with author Aisha Saeed. She wrote the 2015 novel Written in the Stars, which I read and I have loved. I enjoyed it so much. I enjoy following her on Twitter. She is always 
adding interesting insights into the bigger publishing conversation over on Twitter. I got to sit down and talk to her about writing her book, about what it's like to be a mom who is writing with kids underfoot, and also about the need for diverse reading choices in our lives and in the lives of our children. And then at the end, she gives her suggestions for summer reading for yourself and for the kids in your life. So let's get right to my interview with Aisha. Well, hello, Aisha. Thank you so much for coming on Sorta Awesome and talking with us about books and reading today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. I would love it if we could just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, just kind of your background, a little of your story, your family, your writing work. We would just love to hear everything about you. I was born and raised in South Florida, and I always wanted to be a writer, but it was always something that was just a bucket list, a dream. I never really thought it could actually happen. And so I went to school to be a teacher, and I taught second grade for years, and then I went to law school, and I graduated from there, and I worked with students, um, representing them with their legal rights in education. And then all along that path, I always wanted to write. That was always my dream, and so I got pregnant, and I realized, okay, I'm about to have a baby. I have a full-time job, and if I don't, if I don't, if I don't pursue the writing that I've always wanted to do now, I'll never do it. And so we looked at our finances and our budget and uh, we pretty much decided, let me just take a year or two off. I'll be home with the baby and I'll be able to write. And I, and that's, that's a privilege. I'm very lucky that I was able to do and not everyone can do that. And that's the choice we made. And so I stayed home and I wrote my book. Uh And, um, and so now I, that's what I do full time. I write and I take care of my kids. So, yeah, so that's a little bit about me and how I came into writing. Um, I love yeah. that. I love that. I know I know that feeling of like impending motherhood and like, okay, if I'm going to do this thing, I've got to do it now. So, yeah, I definitely <laughs> exactly. get that. I get that. And how many children do you have now? I have three boys. Okay. So I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and an 18-month-old. So I am very, very busy. <laughs> very busy. I get that. Well, I loved hearing that little bit of your background. And I think that all of us, of course, you know, as we're telling stories, we bring so much of our own experiences to the storytelling that we do. Um, So I wanted to dig in and talk a little bit about Written in the Stars. Um, I read it this year. I thought it was so beautiful. And really, I was, I have to tell you, Aisha, it was unexpectedly, like, really brutal. There was, I took some turns (laughs) that I was not expecting, but I was, I mean, it's such a nail biter. For those of you who haven't read Written in the Stars, it is Aisha's novel, the story of Nyla and her um, sort of navigating the tension in her life between her very um, traditional Pakistani parents and their hopes and dreams for her life, as opposed to Nyla, who was growing up in the United States and and how she envisioned her future playing out and falling in love and then deals very honestly with the um, practice of coerced or forced marriage. So it was fantastic. I mean, it was so like I read it in like a like a day or two because it was such a nail biter. Thank you so much. <laughs> I would love to hear a little bit about... Um, how you kind of drew from experiences in your life. Uh, again, Nyla is a character really 
I mean, she's such a perfect example of having to navigate tension in our lives between maybe cultural differences and how we fit into a bigger culture. I would love to hear from you, Aisha, like what some of experiences that you've had that played into how you formed the character of Nyla. Sure. And I think a lot of uh, debut authors, because this was my first book, um, will say that their first book is has a lot of themselves in it. I mean, every book has a little bit of yourself in it, but the first book has the most of yourself. It's the most, at least for me, the most autobiographical um, story that I've told. So with, with this book, I think the first third of the book is about her struggling and navigating her life with her parents, like you, like you put so well. And Mm -hmm. I I grew up a lot like Nyla. I grew up in South Florida, just like Nyla did. And I had a Pakistani American parents and they had their hopes and dreams for me. And I, you know, I also had my own. Sometimes they overlapped. I definitely loved reading. I loved studying. I loved learning. And my parents liked that for me. But then there were other areas where we diverged. And I think I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that when you come to a brand new country, you're learning everything. And so for them, a lot of things that are just American norms, like going to football games and going to prom, those things, they never had those back home. And so I think those were all very unfamiliar and and when something's unfamiliar, it can be a little scary. And so I think I personally did have to navigate all that myself. Now, my parents never forced me to get married, like what happens in this right. book. But um, that part, total fiction. But the first third, I, when my mom actually read the book, she uh, she kind of looked at me and she's like, what is this? I, I'm This is like me. This mom is me. I'm like, yeah, but mom, you didn't force <laughs> me to get married. So, so it's all good. <laughs> um, right, but, um, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think... I mean, all of us, I think even if you're born and raised here and you're not Pakistani, no matter what culture you're from, like we all navigate our parents' hopes and dreams for us and we navigate our own dreams for ourselves. And so so that is the main thesis of the book is that she wants her own she wants her own future and her own dreams and her parents have their own plans for her. And unfortunately, her parents' plans for her are that they want to choose her husband for her. And she falls in love with somebody. And that, that's the tension that drives the whole book. And I, while I personally didn't go through that, thank God, I did have friends that went through similar circumstances where their parents wanted to choose their husbands for them. And the parents, uh, the parents wouldn't take no for an answer. And so while my friends were never forced, they weren't forced in the way that it happens in the book, but they were coerced. They felt like they couldn't say no and they did get married. And Personally, for me, growing up, I I didn't understand it. And so while they were getting married, I was going to college. And while I was Mm, getting my degree, um, while I was getting my degree in education, they were actually dealing with really difficult situations and they were getting divorced. And it it was very, very painful to see. And so this book kind of grew from me trying to understand how did parents who I grew up with, I knew these, my friend's parents, I grew up with them. I went to birthday parties and sleepovers at their house. And why did their parents do this? Because I know their parents love them. And mm. that was never in doubt. So why would you do this? And so that was, that was what kind of stayed with me and haunted me. And when I began writing this book, it was more to make sense of that question of why do people do these things when, when it's something that their children didn't want? Why would you do that? And um, that, yeah. that was a, a big driving force of what made me write this book. I think you handled the dynamic there with such care between Nyla and her parents. And I think 
I read a lot of young adult literature. It's my favorite genre. And so um, I know, you know, and I read obviously a lot of it when I was a teenager and, and, um, you know, early 20s person. I think that that dynamic might have been read one way when I was a teenager myself. But then as a parent, I read it. And of course, I may not have the views that Nyla's parents did, or like in your life, the views that your friend's parents had. But I do understand there's that sort of universal thing when you become a parent of like, you navigate your own ideas about like what you want your children to do and your your hopes and dreams for them as a parent. So I thought that you handled that dynamic really well and very realistically in the book. Thank you. Yeah, I think I mean, even now I'm a mom to a seven year old and he's about to start second grade and we're trying to figure out, do we continue him at this at this private school he's at, or do we switch to public? And it's just interesting because you're, you're deciding everything for your children, every single thing you're, you know, whether they, which school they go to, what they, what they wear, what, where you're going to go for your family vacations, everything from small things to the really big things you're deciding. And I think in this book, it's now she's 17. She's about to graduate and become an adult and her parents aren't able to understand that now they have to let her make those decisions, but it is, it must be hard. I'm not there yet. I have little kids. So, but it must be hard for all parents, I think, to, to, to sure. do that process of letting go. So. Well, that is a perfect transition into what another thing that I wanted to ask you about as a mom and as a writer, um, lots of us, whether, you know, lots of our listeners, whether they are parents or not, we all kind of operate in a realm where we have this tension between our home life and our work life, whatever that work may look like. So you wrote Written in the Stars when you were pregnant or your your oldest was a baby. Is that right? Yeah, I was pregnant when I wrote the first draft and I got my agent. And then I had a newborn when I was doing all my revisions to send it out to editors. So yes, yes. 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 And now you have written a second one, a second novel, which has not been released yet. Yes, it comes out summer 2018. That is so awesome. I can't wait for that. But I would love to hear a little bit just kind of how you have navigated that specific tension of you have your writing life. And I know that for writers, it's not just sitting down and and writing that first draft. It is. It's revisions. It's edits. And then once it's released into the world, it's marketing and having a social media presence and all of the things that go with being an author now. Um, And at the same time, you're raising little ones. So I would love to hear just a little bit about what that experience has been like, some of the challenges and some of the joys of that. Yeah, and I'm sure you can relate to a lot of this. Um, it's it's not easy. It's, it's hard. Um, people ask me that all the time. They're like, oh, how do you do it? You have three kids. One of them's home with you um, full time. And, and how do you do it? And I tell them, I don't know. Like, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And I think and I think that um, it's helpful for any reader that's listening, I mean, any, anybody that's listening right now to know that if you feel like it's hard, that's normal. It's normal. It's, it's hard for everybody to be a full-time parent and to be a full-time writer. It's just, it's, it's a very difficult thing to navigate. The biggest advice I can give anybody who wants to write and is also raising kids and maybe even working full-time as they're doing it. Um, the biggest thing I can say is, is that you have to find the time and the space and you just have to make a routine of it and you just have to do it because life is going to stay busy. It's just going to be, it's going to be busy, whether, whether it's, you're taking them to soccer practice and then the summer comes and then you have summer stuff to do. There's always something going on. There's always a reason not to write that day. And so that's, 
that's the biggest advice I can give. For me personally, I um, I basically when my kids are napping, I write. Mm, yes. <laughs> when uh-huh. my kids go when my kids go down for bedtime, I write. On the weekends, um, I have to say no to things. I, I have a lot of great friends that I love. There's birthday parties of my friends' kids that I want to go to, and oftentimes my husband has to take them, and I stay back to write. Um, becoming a writer when you're also navigating parenthood means you have to say no to other things. You have to figure mm-hmm. out what you value and what you really, really want to work on and prioritize and just do that and, and try to make sure that writing is one of those things. I, I, that's the biggest advice I can give is you can't do it all. So you just have to figure out which things you're going to let go. So sometimes your laundry is going to pile up because you have a writing idea and that's, <laughs> you just have to be at peace with that because it's going to pile up again. <laughs> So, but when yes, are you going to find that time sure. to write? <laughs> so, that's right. But, yes. um, but yeah, definitely hard. And it's something that I, you know, I talk to other writing friends about, and it's just something we all navigate. And the biggest thing I can say is that until you get your, once you're under contract, then you have a deadline and then you have to write. But while you're still writing and hoping for publication, nobody's expecting that book from you. So it's entirely up to you. And so you have to just find that routine to, to motivate yourself to get it done. So. so true. And that's sort of a theme that comes up a lot on Sort of Awesome. We talk a lot about the idea that if you were going to say yes to something, whatever passion or pursuit or life choice it is, it definitely that means there's there's going to be some no's on the other side of that. So I'm sure that it comes up a lot in the writing life, because like you said, so much of it is on you as the writer to accomplish. So yeah, yeah. And that and that's, I mean, definitely. And, and for me, personally, I I written in the stars, it took a long time for it to, for it to sell. And it took a long, it was a, it was a long road. And, you know, I mean, it just, it takes the right editor to connect with you. So yes, it's, it's a lot of, as a creative person, you're going to get told no a lot. (laughs) And um, yeah. And there's an author, Victoria Schwab. She's a USA Today, New York Times bestseller. She wrote this savage song and she wrote about on her blog, she wrote, that even now with her incredible success, she still is routinely told no for projects and ideas that she wants to pursue. And so that's definitely one thing I've learned is definitely once you've gotten one book published, it may be in some ways easier for someone to listen to you about your other projects, but that doesn't mean that you're always going to get a yes because every single project is a brand new thing. So so yes, being told no is just a part of life as an author. That is, that is true. Yeah. So true and so true in so many facets of life. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit because this is what I really am so excited to hear from you about. And that is because you are one of the founding members of an organization called We Need Diverse Books. I personally feel so passionately about this. A long time ago, before my children were born, I was going to school to become a librarian and had a very, at the time, very progressively thinking professor who was insistent that our um, reading lists and our, our focus on collecting materials was was extremely diverse. Um, and this was back in the late 90s. And here we are still talking about the need for I diverse books <laughs> and diverse yes. material for, for not only for our children, which is hugely important, but also for ourselves. So let's just kind of start at the beginning with We Need Diverse Books. How did this movement start? So I was, um, I had just gotten my book deal and I was very excited and 
I was um, Googling and looking up information about, you know, how to, how to promote your book, how to market your book, how does everything work? And I don't know exactly how, but I stumbled upon article after article about the fact that diverse books don't sell well, that they don't do well. And that, you know, there's, there was just so much literature out there, gloom and doom about diverse books. And I started realizing that it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy going on where people just Uh assumed that they wouldn't sell. So they weren't. So I was seeing like diverse books often get shelved into special sections at the bookstore that, so they're Mm. not, they didn't, they oftentimes were not placed. Like for example, a book with a black protagonist might be placed in urban literature away from where other kids might be looking for books. They may not walk to that other shelf. They may just go to the main shelf. And so they're going to miss those books. And so I started just feeling a little frustrated about that. And I was on social media, I was on Twitter and I was tweeting about it. And I discovered Ellen O. It was also just by coincidence, having a conversation about that very topic at the same time. And so her and uh, Melinda Lowe, they were discussing and I joined that conversation and other authors and other writers joined that conversation and we were discussing how frustrating it is. And around that time, BookCon, which is a, a really big book conference festival exhibition thing that happens in, it's a traveling one now, but it, it was happening in New York that year. And they just announced their young adult children's literature lineup that they were presenting. And I believe it was all male, all white authors. And we were just, this is so frustrating. We don't, we don't get a chance to have a platform. We don't get to have our voices heard. And, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because then people don't find our books and then, and then they don't do well. And so as through that conversation, we were um, inspired to create this hashtag. We need diverse books. And, um, and I guess there was a, there were a lot of people who agreed with us because we started this hashtag, we need diverse books and it went viral. And, um, there were tweets from, there were tweets from every continent on earth except for Antarctica. And there was participation and buy-in. And the best thing was that publishers were listening and they said, yes, we agree. This is a problem. And so they've, uh, they've been great supporters of us publishers and other authors and supporting us. And so because of all that support, we went from being a hashtag to becoming a nonprofit organization. And this will be actually, wow, it's, this is our third year, our third year um, of being. So yeah, it's been, it's been great. And our, our goal as an organization is to put diverse books into the hands of all children. Oh, that's so excellent. I think that's such a a fantastic example of, you know, there's so much negativity towards sort of like Twitter activism or, you know, just social media activism that it just is words and they flow out, float out into the, um, you know, into the atmosphere and then nothing ever happens. But I love that this started as a hashtag and now is a, it's a solid organization with, you know, people who are members, a, a board of directors who are kind of driving uh, the the movement forward. Yeah, we have um, so we have uh, we have intern grants um, to help diversify publishing. So we offer internship grants. We offer writing grants. Actually, um, don't know if you've heard of the fantastic book "The Hate You Give" by Angie Thomas. Yes, she was the yes. winner. She, yeah, that was a fantastic book, and she she was a winner of one of our um, grants for writers, unpublished writers, to help support them and. Um, and when she won, she actually showed a picture of her laptop, which was taped together. I think it was duct taped together. And she tweeted that on social media and was like, this is what I'm one of the things I'm doing with the with the grant money is I'm going to upgrade my Aww. computer. 
And then a few months later, her book sold in a 13 house auction. <laughs> so, wow. So that was incredible. That's so yeah, incredible. yeah, that's, yeah, it's been, it's been great to be able to help uh, promote authors and, and people who want to work in the publishing industry and to work on initiatives that help get books into classrooms that need them. Yeah, definitely. And so I was going to ask, I mean, I love how targeted it is on schools. And certainly that is when many of us, when we're school children um, from elementary on up through high school is when we are exposed to different um, authors and different ideas through reading. Mm -hmm. Um, How can we just as as regular readers, maybe who are not involved um, in such a a connected way with a a school situation, but we're we're readers or we're parents and, and we want to be supportive of this movement for diverse books? What are some ways that we can kind of get involved ourselves? Well, with the organization itself, the website is diversebooks.org, and they have tons of ways that you can be involved and, um, and support. And in general, in supporting a diverse book, I think the biggest thing to ask yourself is, is what are you reading? Just take a look at what you read the last few months, the last six months, and what your kids have read. What have you picked up from the library? And I'll be very honest, even though I'm so enmeshed in the We Need Diverse Books movement, it's very important to me. When I go to the library, just randomly with my children, there's not a lot of diverse books on the bookshelf. When I go to the mm. bookstore, there's not that many. Um, and so I think, I think if you're not conscious of it and you just go to the library, you're just going to pick up the books that are there. You're not going to realize that there weren't any. So I think the biggest thing as parents, as readers, as anyone who supports more diversity is when you go to your library, look at the books that are there and look at what's not there. And um, if you hear about a book on social media, on Twitter or Facebook, or if you hear about a book anywhere that's diverse, that seems interesting, ask your library to carry it. They will, nine times out of 10, they will order the book for you um, and keep yes. it as part of their collection. That's something I didn't know. I actually had gone to the library one day before I was ever published and I, I just went and they didn't have a book. I don't even remember the name of the book, but I'm like, why don't you have this book? And they're like, what's the name? They typed it in and I'm like, so do you have it? They're like, no, but we, we're ordering it now. And I had no idea oh, that yeah. was such a powerful moment and that's such a big thing for authors to get their books into libraries. So I think, I think, um, yeah, buy the diverse books. So if you see a book that you like, buy it. But if you can't, because we can't buy all the books that we want to, just support it at the library. Those are the, the two biggest things that I would say. And review them because reviews matter, especially like yes. on Amazon. When you hit a certain threshold of reviews, like 50 reviews, Amazon will market your book differently. So if you like the book, the best way to say thank you is just give it a good review on Amazon and Goodreads. Those things can go a long way too. That is such great advice. I have a lot of author friends who, you know, are constantly like, if you really liked it, please just give it a review on Amazon, yes. and, you know, try to make it <laughs> as easy as possible for those of us who are fans of a book to do that. And it's so true in the current book economy and in the greater culture that we have, really, we're so, you know, it seems like everywhere you can find reviews for anything that you're looking for. So those yeah. reviews are so important. So, and yeah. I love what you said too, Aisha, about each of us just as readers kind of examining, like, what have I been reading lately? When was the last time I stepped out of my usual, either my usual genre or my usual authors that I like? When was the last time I really challenged myself to pick up something that I would not normally pick up from an author that is from a more, you know, diverse background, a different background from me, exploring Mm -hmm. topics that I've never, you know, explored myself? I think that it is also important just to kind of have that self-awareness of how diverse our reading lists are as readers. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, I now what I do is I have a bullet journal. I'm very obsessed with bullet journaling. And um, oh, yay, me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's and so last year I started a bullet journal. I kept notes of um, the books I was reading, and I started noting what the genres I'm reading, what age, what you know, is it young adult? Is it adult? Is it literary? What is it? And and what what the diversity is of the book. And I found and, and it was very very helpful for me to be to be more conscious. And that's definitely been helping me with my 2017 reading as well. Yes, I also have a list going for my 2017 oh, do you? <laughs> books. I do, yes. And yeah. so, yeah, and it really does help for me to be like a little bit more intentional because I see it written out and I can kind of see if I need to, you know, balance it out one way or another. So. Yeah. Yeah, love that. Okay, well, speaking of our reading list, here we are. It is Memorial Day weekend, and we are getting ready. Those of us who love books and reading are looking at the summer months ahead, maybe thinking about our reading lists, things that we want to pick up ourselves. And also those of us who have kids have lots of hours ahead to (laughs) fill for them. And lots of us like to check out books or buy books or load up books on the Kindle or whatever for the summer. So I would love to hear from you, Aisha, any suggestions that you have for us as we're making our summer reading lists? Sure. Um, so one book that I just recently read is, uh, is called Lucky Broken Girl by Ruth Behar. And it ju- it's her debut book. And it's about a Jewish Cuban girl who grew up in New York. She had a life like any other girl. And then one day she's in a horrible car accident and she's in a body cast for a year. And it was it was one of the most gripping, most beautifully written books that I have read recently. And um, what I love about it is it's a middle grade book. So it's for ages eight and up. But as an adult, I was weeping and I stayed up till 3 a.m. reading it, which if anyone who has children knows that that's a big (laughs) sacrifice to make. That's a huge sacrifice. (laughs) Because you you pay for it the next day very badly. But but it was worth it because it was such a good book. And so I I love that book. And if anyone has children that are, you know, ages eight and up, it's a great book to read together, uh, to take turns reading and something that you can have conversations about as well. I just wanted to say, so you said it was Lucky Broken Girl by Ruth Behar. It's loosely based on her own life, actually. Yeah. That is fascinating. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because I feel like middle grade books often don't get very much attention. You have, of course, a a huge variety for younger children's literature. And then once kids kind of hit the high school years and on up, um, there's lots of books, you know, lots of focus on books for those ages. But I feel like middle grade books never get the attention they deserve. So I'm so glad you mentioned that one. I'm definitely going to check it out for my girls. Yeah, I love I love middle grade because um, as a parent, it just and of a, of a seven-year-old now, it's these are books that will resonate with you personally, I feel like, as an adult, mm. but they're also books that you can share with your children. Um, so I think middle grade books are very special to me. <laughs> My next book is a middle grade, actually. It's coming out in June. So, yeah. Um, another, another middle grade book, which um, you may have heard about, is called Brown Girl Dreaming, yes. which is, uh, yeah, a memoir in verse by Jacqueline mm-hmm. Woodson. It's won pretty much every award that it could win. (laughs) It's not just me who loves it. Um, But yeah, that's another fantastic book that uh, you can read. It's a memoir of Jacqueline Woodson um, growing up in the South during segregation and desegregation. And just, just, it's just a beautifully told lyrical haunting, haunting story. And it's, it's a book that I know have made adults 
like myself, weep. And it's something mm-hmm. that resonates with children as well. So it's another great book that you can read together that I really loved. Love that. Brown Girl Dreaming is beautiful. Definitely. I love it. What else? Um, I also um, love, love, love um, The Upside of Unrequited by Becky Albertalli. Um, well, I have it on my list for this summer. I can't wait to dig into it. I read her first book, um, Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda. Yes, yes, yes. It's becoming a movie. It's a, it'll be a movie. Oh, how um, awesome. Yes, next year. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so her books, I love Becky Albertalli's books because they just they're light, but they're also so deep. There's just, mm-hmm. they're a little bit of both. So they'll make you smile, but they also leave you thinking. And so I loved Upside of Unrequited. It's a great beach read because you'll be smiling. It's going to keep you in a good mood. It's, have you ever seen The Office? Yes. Um, so it's kind of like Jim and Pam, like their story, ah, but young okay. adults. <laughs> and so love I just, I, yeah, I just loved it. It, it was, a, it was a great book and another, it's a young adult book. So it's one that parents could possibly even read with their, with their teenage kids. So I like yeah. that. Oh my goodness. I'm so looking forward to that one for sure. <laughs> and then one just for car ride. I just have to say, if you're doing a car ride or a road trip, um, in the summer, yes. um, there's two books I would recommend for that. One, if you have younger kids, it's called The One and Only Ivan by Catherine okay. Applegate. It is okay. amazing. It is, uh, it is about a silverback gorilla and his life inside of a zoo, not a zoo, inside of a cage in Seattle, Washington. And mm. it is the best read aloud book I have ever heard. And it is um, my, my, my husband, me, my four-year-old and my seven-year-old were fascinated on a five-hour car ride. We listened to it and we have now listened. We're in our third listen to it because it's told so well. Oh, wow. So that's, yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating story just about captivity and about inequality. It just touches on so many themes and it's told so well. Okay. And that was the one and only Ivan by Catherine Applegate. Yes. And, um, and then also if you have teenagers or just for yourself, to be honest, the hate you give by Angie Thomas, that read aloud, um, the person read, I I don't know the name of the person reading it, but the audio book for that is fantastic. It's like you're listening to a movie. It's just, it's done so well. So that's another great one to read aloud and listen to if you're doing any road trips. I'm so glad that you brought up audiobooks or read alouds because we in our community are, you know, a lot of people are thinking ahead to road trips this summer. And, you know, what can we all listen to as a family? So I'm so glad you included some audiobooks on your list of recommendations. That's fantastic. Oh. Now, those help, especially with podcasts and everything. It's always nice to have something to listen to. So, yeah. It is. It makes the time go by so much more quickly. Yeah. So, <laughs> definitely. That. There's one more book. If um, it's called "Everything I Never Told You" by Celeste Ng, um, yes. that book came out I think two years ago. But it's such a great read. It, it's another one of those books that it's heavy. It's about a girl who it's, it's told, I believe, from the point of view of a girl who died 
or there is a point of view in it of a girl who it's about a girl who died and it's about mm-hmm. the family dealing with the aftermath. Have you read it? I think I have not. I've heard so much buzz about it, but it's not one I have picked up yet. So. It's one of those books you kind of just inhale. Like it just gets you yeah. from the first paragraph and you just kind of keep going. You can't put it down. So everything I never told you by Celeste Ng. It's for adults, but I have um, heard that it's also curriculum in high schools too now. So it's another one of those books that mom and um, child or dad and child can read together. So that was another one. Fantastic. Well, this was a great list. I am so excited to get into summer reading. In fact, for those of you uh, regular listeners of Sorta Awesome, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to put my own suggestions for summer books and reading into this week's edition of the Sorta Awesome newsletter. And if you've never signed up for that, it's so easy to do. You can go to SortaAwesomeShow.com and look for the newsletter tab and we'll get you all signed up. And that will be in this week's edition of the newsletter. So, Aisha, this has been so wonderful to talk to you. I followed you for a long time on Twitter and always love to hear your insights, but it's been so fun to get to actually have a conversation. No, this was great. I, I love talking books. So, I mean, you couldn't pick a better topic <laughs> to chat with me about. So I, loved, I, loved, I loved doing this. Thank you. Well, before I let you go, if you could let us know where we can find you. You are very active on Twitter, but where else can we find you? Where can we find you on Twitter, first of all? And where else can we find you on social media? And is there anything you can tell us or any, anything you can tell us about this new novel that you have coming out next year? Sure. So, yeah, um, my next book, which is coming out summer, June 2018, it's called Amal Unbound. It's about a girl growing up in Pakistan and her dad owes a really big debt to a local landlord and he decides to call in the debt by making her his servant in his house. And the story follows her going from a happy, carefree life to becoming a servant and, um, and what happens when she decides to take matters into her own hands to save her oh. future. Yeah. Wow. So that's like another, another <laughs> suspenseful one like written in yeah. the stars. So, awesome. Yeah, I hope so. Can't wait for that. Yeah. And social media wise, I, yes, I am very active on Twitter, as you know, and um, my handle there is at Aisha CS, A-I-S-H-A-C-S. And honestly, that is, that is my social media of choice. I really don't use very much else, but that is my handle for Instagram as well. But um, I use that a few times a year, but I'm just very partial to Twitter. So that is (laughs) the main place that you can find me. That makes so much sense. Well, again, Aisha, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Sorta Awesome and talk books and reading and the need for diverse books and letting us hear a little bit of the behind the scenes from an author who is also a mom of little ones. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Okay, so Rebecca, I loved this interview. I loved getting a chance to visit with Aisha. You had some thoughts too about the things that Aisha and I talked about. So I'd love to hear what you were thinking. Oh, it was so good, Megan. I mean, from start to finish, I just loved what she had to say, especially as somebody who also works in the online world and with writing and creating content during the fringe hours, as they say. I really identified with what she had to say about her book writing process and about the dedication and the discipline that it takes to be a creative entrepreneur when you have kids and you're doing it as a stay-at-home mom. It was maybe a little bit convicting, like, Rebecca, 
step up your game and be more consistent. (laughs) Yeah, she had some really great wisdom about that for sure. So I really did appreciate everything that she had to say. And I am really interested in her book. I had not heard of it before. And it sounds just absolutely fascinating. That one, along with the book that she recommended, Lucky Broken Girl. Yes, I can't wait to pick that one up. Yeah. Something that I really appreciate about this conversation of diversity is, of course, we can use books as a way to experience other cultures more deeply, to identify with other races more deeply, just to broaden our perspective and our horizon. But something that I kept coming back to and thinking, too, is what about just like general representation? Like, Mm, right. Can we please have books that like all of our children can see themselves in like it doesn't have to have these different cultural undertones to them but my goodness let's just vary the skin color on some of these protagonists for pete's sakes like why is this not something that is happening more often as a whole already i know i agree so much it's so true and it's so frustrating on one level to think like there has not been a huge shift in like what you're talking about in representation for people of variety of backgrounds for many years. And here we are in 2017. It is getting better, but there's still so much work that needs to be done in this area. So I really appreciated her drawing out some of those themes. Um, I also, I'm just so passionate about books and reading and particularly about the impact that reading books can have on children and young people as they're really forming their understanding of the world. You know, for so many of us, we may just have our one little context that we grow up in. And we don't really have a chance to know or be exposed to what life is like outside of our little bubbles of life, whatever those look like. And books give us that window on the world, whether it is just, you know, the difference in culture or the difference in what it's like to be somewhere else on the planet. I think it's just so important that our kids do have the opportunity to experience life outside of their bubble, and books are a fantastic way to do that. So I just so appreciated what she had to say about that. And the We Need Diverse Books movement in general, I have so much appreciation for and just believe so strongly in what they're doing. Most definitely. One thing that I have tried to do with my kids is even just the simple act of when I go to the library and I'm flipping through picture books, picking up picture books with, you know, kids of color in them so that my Mm -hmm. kids can, you know, we live in a fairly white neighborhood here, a fairly white community and white bubble. And just to have my kids seeing children of other colors, it's just it's really important. And that's just one simple thing to do pick up Mm -hmm. an extra book at the library. And then as Aisha said, even just requesting books from the library that you want, that they are not carrying. There's just so many simple things that we can do. It doesn't have to be complicated in order to help support this movement. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I thought was so interesting about what Aisha said was that so many of the books that she was recommending are for young adult or even the middle school age. But Mm -hmm. I did want to throw in one that's more for the adult crowd. If for some reason people are just maybe not so into the young adult literature, I have a recommendation. It is a book called A Thousand Splendid Sons. 
And mm. this book came out in 2007, so it's a bit on the older side. But Megan, this book has stuck with me. It is one of my most favorite reads of all time. So yeah. the book was written by Kayed Asini. And forgive me if I said that wrong. <laughs> he was born in Afghanistan, but he has been living in the U.S. since 1980. And this book follows the lives of two women living in war-torn Afghanistan. This is not a light read. It is gripping mm. and it is suspenseful and it is a story that will keep you up at night as you turn page after page after page, just unable to put the book down. It yeah. definitely is a look into a different culture, into a different way that women live and are treated and what it's like to experience living in a war-torn environment. I cannot stress to you how powerful this book was. So if you're wanting something more on the lighthearted side, <laughs> um, definitely go with Aisha's recommendations. But then A Thousand Splendid Sons will, I mean, that's a gripping, gripping tale. Hey, I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Rebecca. I, I've heard so much about that book, but I myself have never picked it up. So I need to do that. Don't forget, as I mentioned when I was talking with Aisha, I'm going to put my own picks for summer reading in this week's edition of the newsletter, which will come out on Monday morning. You can go to SortaAwesomeShow.com to sign up for that look for the newsletter tab. So Rebecca, if people want to find us and talk all things books and reading or anything else for that matter, remind us where we can find you all around the web. Well, you can find me at simplyrebecca.com, and you can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at simplyrebecca. Okay, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at sorta awesome Meg. You can find the show over on Instagram at sorta awesome show. We're on Twitter at sorta awesome pod, and you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com/sorta awesome. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. <laughs>